Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is The Guardian. What I just think is kind of insane in, in this campaign is the coalition's message, which is essentially like, oh, we, we couldn't fix what was happening before and we had no control over that, but you can only trust us to control it moving on. Well, they've had almost a decade. Hello, lovely people of podcasts. You're with Catherine Murphy and you're on Australian Politics. And I'm with... Amy Ramakis. Josh Butler. Daniel Hurst. And Paul Karp. And we are answering your campaign questions. On Preference Day, as Paul has uh, intimated before we started recording. Anyway, if you celebrate. <laughs> well, we observe Preference Day. In this team. We're very excited for it. Anyway. They're all revealing their, uh, their dirty deals Basically today. dirty deals Is day. it like Independence Day? It is kind of like that. Anyway, 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 uh, sticking to the tasks. Now, if, you've, if you are a regular listener uh, to the show, you will know that uh, we are in this Ask Us Anything format for the duration of the campaign. We're really enjoying these episodes and the quality of your questions. And I apologise to people listening whose questions didn't get up this week. Literally, there are so many good ones. We can't put them all on the show. But anyway, let's have a crack. We're going to start. Paul, you're up first this week. And we are starting with Stevie. Basically, he wants to know about the election maths. I mean, I can read out Stevie's question, but the, the simple way to express it is, you know, how many seats does it take for each of these parties to form a government and what are the various permutations, which is a very good question and one we just assume, right? So let's get into that in a tick. And also, uh, back, uh, moving back to Preference Day from David Lamb, he's, he's noting the reports that started, I think the first report was Wednesday night, I think, wasn't it, uh, of about preferences, pertaining to preferences. He's noticed this report that One Nation may preference Labor ahead of the LNP in marginal seats as retaliation for the Liberals preferencing the Jackie Lambie network in Tasmania. Will they follow through? Uh, and if so, do One Nation preferences move the needle enough to make a significant difference in key marginals? And as a third super nerd question, I'll just say to David parenthetically, like you've got to be a super nerd, mate, to out-nerd us. But anyway, there you go. Uh, for the super nerd question, is there any data or study which shows how often voters overall tend to follow the party sample ballots? And I think by that he means how to vote cuts. So let's start. First things first, Paul, what is the electoral mathematics at this point? Uh, well, the government starts with 76 seats. Uh, they lose one automatically because a seat is being eliminated in WA. 
and they might gain one back if they win Hughes off Craig Kelly. So let's say they start on 76. If the polls are right, there is a swing to Labor and they will pick up some seats. It's just a question of how many. And so if the coalition don't win some back, uh, then the best that they'll be able to do is minority government. And that's why you see, even though they're the incumbent government, they're out hunting, looking for these seats to pick up. You've got Hunter and Gilmore in New South Wales, Lingiari in the Northern Territory, Lyons in Tasmania, even trying to still pick up seats in Queensland as, as you know, mm. unbelievable to try and improve on their result from last time, yep, like in bet. Blair, mm-hmm. and on in the northern fringe of Melbourne, the seat of McEwen, because they think people hate Dan Andrews. Mm-hmm. So the coalition is hunting all those seats. How The election is determined by, you know, whether more go in one direction or, or, or the other, and that does remain to be seen. Like, it's a difficult pendulum for Labor, we've noted many times, uh, because of the large buffers uh, in the seats in Queensland, it's going to be hard to pick up seats there which is why they've got a very short list of target seats because they don't want to overreach. They're just aiming to get a couple in Queensland. Mm -hmm. The smaller states could be more fruitful for Labor. Uh, I went to WA and think that they're doing well in Swan and Pearce and might pick up Hasluck as well. Uh, In South Australia, Boothby is a perennial, but given the strong state result and they're ahead in polling, you went to northern Tasmania mm. and think that Bass and Braddon could, uh, are also, you know, could fall to Labor. Mm. So if Jackie Lambie preferences them, if, but looping back to the second point. But if, anyway, if Jackie yep. Lambie preferences them, so so th- 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 those are the sorts of seats Labor uh, needs to pick up um, to to get up to to get up to seventy six, um, and it really depends how many go the other way if the coalition can pick up any of those I just mentioned. Yeah. Uh, in terms of preferences. I'm going to say, like, I I don't actually think that how to votes matter that much. Uh, Most lower house contests, the party who's in in first position does end up getting 50% plus one. The main exception to that is when Labor is second, but is assisted by Greens preferences Mm -hmm. into the first Mm -hmm. place. And that happens more because they're both parties of the left and that's what the voters want rather than what the little piece of paper you handed on the way in says. Also, preferences matter a lot less now. The Senate voting is changed. It's not putting one above the line and then some backroom deal funneling your votes to parties that you're not sure of. Voters are more in control of them and have to actually follow the card for them to have any effect. I think Fon will uh, follow through on that thread in Tasmania because Pauline Hanson has announced on, on Thursday that she's uh, going to try and tip Bridget Archer out in Bass, uh, but it's not that potent a threat because she likes Gavin uh, Pearce in, yeah, in the seat in the in of, mm. of Braddon. So she's really having a bet each way in Tasmania. And in terms of do voters follow the cards, I would recommend uh, Kevin Bonham, the cephologist, has done a thread today that where he estimates that, you know, coalition voters... Maybe uh, a third of them follow the card. Labor voters, fifteen to twenty percent, and minor party voters, e- even less than that. In the case of the Greens, so, and you've got to remember that that's like, if if 
you know, 10 or 15% of Greens voters follow a card, but only 12% of, of people are voting for the Greens. 15% of 12% is, is quite small and probably not going to swing a seat. Yes. So uh, well done. And I would say that we, we like uh, Kevin Bonham for a range of reasons, really, not only, uh, not only his insights on these matters, he's a very droll presence on Twitter if uh, any listeners are on that social platform. Amy Love, you're up next. Now, I have quite a long question from Sally Rugg. She basically wants to know, let's try and condense this slightly. Okay, it's common to hear Labor members and voters lament the green strategy of pursuing the lowest hanging fruit seats that are held by progressive Labor MPs. Labor argues that by the Greens targeting progressive left faction Labor women, usually women they are, is removing good people from Parliament, removing people from Labor who advocate for progressive issues and causes and who actually contribute to Labor moving further to the right. She notes that at every election, Labor also targets low-hanging fruit seats for obvious reasons. In May, Liberal MPs Bridget Archer, Katie Allen, Warren Inch are all facing serious challenges from Labor in their seats. These MPs at, at different times have stuck their neck out on progressive issues on their own side of politics. So what Sally wants us to uh, thrash out is uh, a two-parter. In the medium and long term, does the strategy from parties to the left of their targets encourage those targets, the major parties, to run progressive policies to hold the seats, right, which is sort of like the writ large teal, teal deliberation of this election campaign? And uh, will the major parties cut their losses with these challenges from the left and move further to the right, both in policy and without the presence of the ousted so-called Liberals and left-faction Labor MPs who theoretically change from within? And do we think there's an alternative to this strategy from the left? Is it the Teal Independence, as I referenced a minute ago, or is it something else? Uh, Sally, that is enormous. But anyway, Amy's going <laughs> to have a kick into uh, goal yep, for that yep. one. And yep. I have to say, hi, Sally. We're online friends, so hi. Hello to Sally Rugg. It's it's a difficult one to answer because there's no easy answer other than progressive people tend to live in seats held by progressive NPs no matter what colour or party you you support. Yep. And so that's why it tends to be targeted because, you know, there's an overall feeling that you can never actually be too progressive unless you're on Sky News or the ABC. But, like, other than that, you can't be too progressive. So, yes, there's quite a lot of uh, Labor MPs who argue, and probably the, um, the easiest example is Jed Kearney, who's facing quite a strong challenge from Celeste Little, who's representing the Greens in the seat of Cooper. There's been a lot of attacks against against Celeste Little for daring to even, you know, attempt to unseat what is seen as a very progressive Labor MP in Jed. Uh, but, the, the, but the point is, is that, like, it's not up for supporters to argue whether or not another seat uh, can be targeted by another progressive political party. If It will be down to the voters. If the voters don't think that their progressive member from a major party is progressive enough, they may vote in somebody else. And that's what we're finding with the Teals as well. Like, that's the big argument. They are largely in Liberal electorates, and there is the criticism that we're going to 
see the Liberal Party move further to the right because we face the loss of people on, on the, the left of centre within the Liberal Party, the progressives, the moderates, as they call themselves. Uh, but again, it's because there's a, a feeling that they haven't been effective enough in in keeping their party in the centre, in keeping their party in line with progressive ideals. And, and that is that is the big issue. So there is, it's not so much low-hanging fruit as seeing, I think, opportunity for more progressive policies to enter into the parliament. Whether or not it's going to have a long-term effect where we see progressive people removed from the major parties and then we see all the parties start to move even further to the right, that, that's something I think that's a little bit too difficult to be seen because, again, it's down to voters. And if voters start to see that the parliament isn't reflecting society at large, I think you do see people tend to go, OK, how can we best influence this? And then we'll go that way. And that, again, has been the big teal movement, is that people have gone, OK, the government's been in for almost 10 years. We haven't seen as many progressive policies on climate change as we would like. We're sick of it. We're going to do something to try and scare the Liberals into actually acting and perhaps hold the balance of power there. So, yeah, it is a very easy argument and criticism that people have been making, how dare you take away our progressive member. But I think it, it speaks it speaks to the bigger issue of po major political parties are not necessarily representing what everybody wants, particularly on the left side of politics. And I think I'd just add one thing to that. I think, uh, you know, what's interesting in this whole debate about the Teals when it, when it started and the Teals were making this point about, you know, if you if you vote for trans minimum or whatever, you get Barnaby Joyce, right? And it seemed to me, like, just sort of as a glancing observation, this was such an American-style uh, sort of presentation because, obviously, you know, it goes without saying <laughs> in a political party if you vote for Trent Zimmerman, you get Barnaby Joyce because, obviously... In the major party structure in Australia, most people vote together, mm -hmm. right? Like they don't just wander around voting however the hell they the hell they feel like. So I guess the innovation of the Teals is that you've got people who are not locked into a party position and who don't have to do the whole compromise thing within a party structure. I mean, they may have to ballot their own electorates, for example, to work out what the electorate's position is on X, Y or Z. But it kind of like, I suppose it sort of starts to subvert the major party structure, which has been, you know, a really important structural ballast, I think, actually in Australian politics. So it's a big one, Sally. Anyone else got any thoughts before? Just, just on that point that you made there about, you know, vote for Dave Sharma and you get Barnaby Joyce. Mm. Labor is now running that really hard yeah, as well. Exactly. Um, yeah. And they're running that like exactly that same thing with, you know, vote for whoever and you get Barnaby Joyce. Mm. Like Chris Bowen, the the climate change shadow, he's running that really, really hard. Um, and sort of flipping around all those arguments of like, oh, you know, they're saying different things in Rockhampton as opposed to Reed or, you know, those sort of alliterative things that the government said at the last campaign. Yeah. Um, I think that's quite interesting as well, like that's, you know, yeah. which, which obviously indicates that it must be working on some level. They, they wouldn't be adopting that, you know, rhetoric, I don't think, from the independents if it wasn't cutting through or if it wasn't showing up in, I don't know, polling exactly. or focus groups or what have exactly. you. Exactly. So you've got this salience around this issue that the, that the major party, the lock of the major parties is actually detrimental, right? But I guess over the long cycle, there's, you know, the, there's the issue that Sally raises, which is does the whole show move further to the right and do people 
hive off on the fringes. Um, that's a question. But then, then the whole issue of this, the, the pluses and minuses of, ma of major party politics in Australia come into question as well. Because you'd so. lose somebody from the party room with that view, but then at the subsequent election, if that party wants to win back that seat, then presumably they have to appeal to that constituency in some way. Yes, unless exactly. Unless you're assuming that the seat's lost for good. And, and yeah. Labor had that debate around the, the, the Cooper or Batman, as it was then, by-election, where... You know, some people were suggesting those sorts of seats are going to be harder and harder to keep, but mm. then they had an emphatic win in that by-election and it was like, oh, no, actually, we have to hold on to these or we'll be permanently in minority and relying on the Greens. Yeah. And that would have been incredibly perilous for Labor. And we could be seeing that same threat now emerging on the, on yeah, the right on the side of side. politics yeah. where... If they write off all those teal seats without then winning a bag of these other seats that I, that I rattled off, then then they would be permanently in the minority, relying on nationals and well, and, and, and teals. Yeah, well, and they may teals have a and, view on climate and, policy, and, and right wing populists. Yeah, exactly. So, but I think. Like just to build on on all of your points, what tends to get missed a lot when we we and I don't mean us at the Guardian, I just mean wider political reporting looks at this, is that there is immense frustration that the progressives in their political parties, be it Labor or Liberal, are not doing enough to put progressive ideals through the Parliament. So Jed Kearney is we know is quite strong on refugees and has never been a fan of boat turnbacks and things like that. Labor's policy hasn't shifted on that. And we know that Dave Sharma and Trent Zimmerman and Katie Allen and Tim Wilson are fans of, you know, actual climate policy, mm. but they haven't been able to shift the, the coalition on yeah. that. Yeah. And so I think people in those electorates are tired of hearing, I agree with you, but they're not like actually seeing changing. anything happen in the parliament. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, it's fascinating. And thank you, Sally, for that question. One more, Amy, for you, love. I did love this from Tristan Cliff. Uh, he says, it's hard being a progressive young person immersed in an online echo chamber during the election to retain a wider perspective. What are effective ways that we can stay realistically in touch so that we don't uh, have to experience another night of shock like 2019? I loved this question. Yeah. What advice have you got for Tristan? Um, I will talk to my dad. There's, there's one way to try and, you know, broaden your horizons. We'll, 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 supply, yeah. we'll supply the number at the end of the show. Yeah, yeah. Alec yeah, Ramesh yeah, is, yeah, is quite happy to, you know, to talk his views on anything. Um, if you don't have access to my dad, could I recommend um, what I do other than actually, you know, talking to people in shops and cafes and, you know, just like, hey, how are you feeling about stuff, uh, is to read the comment threads on uh, other media outlets. So read the comment threads on the Daily Telegraph and under the Australian and the Herald Sun and news.com uh, and just have a look at what people who don't necessarily think or vote the same way you do are, are saying about issues. And sometimes I think you can be quite surprised um, to find that, you know, they might actually be thinking quite similar things to you or they offer something that you may not have, have thought about before, which does help to expand how you view an issue. And don't purge your uh, your social media of all people that disagree with you. Like, yes. obviously, if you've got mm. high school friends that are 
um, you know, so racist or homophobic or something that they're causing you psychological distress, maybe you might do that. But if they just disagree with you, well, maybe just maybe just keep following that person and and see how where their life journey takes them in terms of a different political opinion to you. Yeah, exactly. And it's it is the risk because we all know, you know, that that in the social domain, the algorithms kind of reinforce people's prejudices and you you do end up in a, if you're not careful, in an enclosed echo chamber, particularly if you don't have a diverse, you know, set of views in your own family or friends or whatever else. And it's sort of like muscle memory, you know, you've got to, it's important to read things you disagree with. You know, it's, it's, it's very important to do that uh, and to, and to keep that that sort of analytical part of your brain alive and kicking. And uh, look, you know, whether whether or not uh, as a progressive young person, Tristan, you're going to be disappointed on election night. Yes, we can't so answer that. We can't answer that. But it's that, very but... Sun Tzu to, you know, to know what the enemy is thinking. So, you know, <laughs> like read and watch the media that you don't necessarily exactly. agree with exactly. because it's usually like a pretty good way of encapsulating views that are different to your own. Exactly. I keep reading and understanding. Does. <laughs> and some, sometimes Andrew Bolt gets stuck into the the conservative PM even harder than the than the lefty media. So you might have fun watching Sky After no, Dark. No, but that's the point. I mean, it's sort of like you, there there are actually nuances and inflection points even in the Balkans, which is what we live in at the moment, right? Where 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 the whole the mainstream media environment and the social media environment is very very much in tribes and clans. Uh, perhaps if you if you range a bit more widely, you'll you'll get a surprise about, you know, some nuances that are out there that you might not have noticed. But anyway, Tristan, thank you for the question. I really, really loved that one. So, okay, who's up? Josh, you're up. Okay, so Isabel Burke. Now, uh, you know, it's a lot of focus on the teals in this episode, I think just because a lot of people are really interested in mm. what's going on at the moment. Not only the teals, though, this, these questions basically pertain to some sort of scenarios that may play out on election night. Isabel wants to know or says that the LNP are really pushing the idea that minority government is fraught with danger for the electorate. Given the key issues of climate change, integrity, cost of living, uh, what might the benefits be to Australia of having a minority government at this particular time in our history? And then sort of on the same page, Lou has a question. Let's call this one a supplementary. Why is it so important that the media demand to know who an independent candidate will support in government before the election is even held? Independents are not an homogenous party. They are electorate issues candidates. Seems to me like the media keeps looking for a headline. So let's do Isabel first. All right. Well, the, the, the point that you make there about that it is not just Teals, that's a really good point because, you know, we've got a number of independents in the parliament already who will probably stay in the parliament who are not Teals and they've been around since before Climate 200 and Voices of and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you've got the likes of you know, Bob Cutter, he's not a Teal. Adam Bant is obviously in the Greens, but he's not, mm-hmm. you know, he's on the cross bench. Uh, Rebecca Sharkey, who came out this week and said that she would back the coalition most likely if, if it was a hung parliament. Helen Haynes, um, all those sort of people. I mean, you know, so it's not, not just the Teals, but there's kind of like a cascading set of 
situations all, all have to line up for this to really make a difference. Like the planet sort of have to align for these questions to really yeah. um, have a have a impact. But you know, as a thought exercise, it is really important. I think in election time, it is really important to say, you know, to to figure out. I mean, we were just talking about it in the office before this. I mean, you know, in a lot of these seats, like you think about Wentworth, think about North Sydney, McKellar, um, uh, Goldstein, even, you know, Kuyong, these are seats where they've been held by the Liberals since the seat existed yeah. in a lot of cases. They've never been held by Labor um, or, or, you know, for a very short amount of time that it's held someone who wasn't Liberal. And a lot of these candidates are saying, oh, you know, vote for us. We need to, you know, some variation of let's get the, the Liberals out or the Liberals aren't doing the right job. I think it's sort of fair enough for you to say, well, if there is a hung parliament, are you going to support the Liberals, this this party that you have campaigned against and made a big part of your campaign that you are not them? Um, or do you flip around and vote for Labor and back Labor in a seat where Labor's never held it, where this electorate has decidedly never voted Labor and, you know, rejected Labor. Mm, yeah, well, we, as, as Josh said, we had a bit of a, a an early run <laughs> in the office <laughs> before I shut everybody up, before we used our best lines ahead of the podcast. Look, uh, just on the second question, you know, as a voter, I would like to know uh, before I consider voting mm. for an independent which, which side of uh, politics they would uh, back in in the event of a minority parliament situation. I know not everybody in my team necessarily agrees with that point of view. And just before we get into agreement and disagreement, can I just say on the 43rd Parliament, which was the minority one, um, Daniel was here. At the end of it, yes. Amy was not here. Paul was not, no, Josh was not. No, my God, we are the only veterans of the 43rd well, Parliament. I, wouldn't, <laughs> and, and, I was there for the last six or eight months. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But but may I just say quickly, uh, just on that, on that point about benefits, right, the 43rd remains my all-time favourite parliament. I loved the 43rd. So anyway, now to, 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 to views other than mine on, I want to know, I want to know who the independents are backing. I just, I don't discount that people want to know and should know. I just think that it's kind of a ridiculous re debate because they're not going to say. And part of the reason I can understand why they're not going to say is who they're going to back in is because when you make those sorts of uh, agreements, there's all sorts of deals and promises that are offered by the major parties uh, and, you know, like to compromises. And we don't know what the major parties are willing to compromise That's on just true. yet. Yeah. So, I mean, like, like, you know, to, to go to the point that, you know, these electorates have never voted Labor. But if they're voting against the coalition because they want action on something and a Labor government would do that, then it would, you know, I could see an independent going to the community and just saying, well, they, they're going to give you what you want. So I'm going to back them in on this and blah, blah, blah. So I just think that until we actually know what the major parties are willing to compromise on, hammering independents going, who will you support is kind of a fruitless exercise. Mm, yeah, yeah. Good point. Anyone else got thoughts? Well, just that, um, just that you lose your leverage if you. I mean, there could be benefits for particular candidates if they felt it was, you know, in interests of reassuring their electorate that they would would go for one side or the other. But you do lose your leverage then because, who are you then after the election to say to demand all sorts of things in those negotiations? Mm -hmm. Because you've already told your voters that you're yeah, going to support what, one what, side, so yes. you lose your entire leverage. More yeah. important is in my view, I mean, it's a fair question, but more important in my view is them spelling out, you know, what their criteria would be, what, what yes. are their priorities, and these Teal independents generally have done that. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the point about the bargaining position I think is, is really good, and I was sort of coming to that. I mean, think about like the, the alignment of the planet sort of thing. I think I might have said it maybe in the last week's podcast or in a different one that I did maybe on the Wentworth 
by mm-hmm. like the Wentworth seat profile. Like there is no like we're, we're all sort of assuming here that like there will be some sort of you know coalition with a small C of like you know say, say for instance Labor and you know three of the teal independents and Adam Bant and someone else like they're not all going to get under some you know liberal national formal coalition thing that's not yeah. that's, that's not a given yeah and I think you know and after I, the 43 I, I was about to say yeah, after I'd, after the way yeah. that went where it was a bit more of a formal you know signing of the deal thing yeah that might not be the way some of them want to go. Mm, like, they're students suspect. of history, you yeah. know. But like not. maybe, maybe again, all hypothetical, you know, whiteboard situations here. Like it might be a position where there's seventy-three Labor MPs in every single bill. Like in the Senate, every single bill has to be negotiated and horse traded with these independents who might give them supply and confidence to, you know, so the government doesn't you know, collapse every single day, but every single bill might be negotiated through and, you know, right now where we go, oh, you know, what does Jackie Lambie think about this and what is, what's Pauline Hanson going to do in the Senate? It might be, oh, what's Alex Segal going to do on this bill or what's it's it, what Allegra happens. Spender or, or, or Sophie Scams or whoever these independents end up being in the parliament. It might be that situation where every single day is a bit of chaos. That's why I love the 43rd. Anyway, uh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, that's it. Is... Sorry, <laughs> chaos. Sorry, chaos, also not in a negative way either. It could be some fun chaos. Yeah. Oh, no. Well, and well, good and productive chaos. And productive. That, well, that was, I think, why I loved the 43rd, because in the end it was productive chaos. Like a whole lot of good actually happened in that parliament that was completely overshadowed by a whole bunch of stuff in contemporary times. But anyway, we And they we, didn't lose a vote on the floor and the coalition can't say the same thing. Yeah, and they all the numbers on the house. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. And, and, and I think that kind of comes back to just one, one final point, I promise. Um, I think that sort of comes back to the, the point that was sort of made in that first question there about, you know, the why do we ask these questions? Like It matters for voter choice. <laughs> it, it does, but and I think, you know, all, all, some of these independents are sort of running on this idea of, like, that politics is broken, the way that we do politics in Canberra, the two-party system, you know, they're all the same and they're all, you know, what are the, the criticisms? Oh, they're all corrupt, they're all in it for themselves, they're all greedy or whatever. And some of these candidates are really going into it and saying, we need to do politics in a better way. We need to do da-da-da. And maybe having these independents in there who want to come in and sort of want to break stuff and they want to change the way that we do politics here. Like, again, when I said chaos, I really didn't want to mean it in a negative way. It could be some really fun and really productive chaos in that, like, it sort of shakes the place up and makes people think about things in a different way outside of the two-party sort of dichotomy. I think the tech term's creative destruction, isn't it? That's the one, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, uh, thank you, Josh, and thank you for those terrific uh, questions. Daniel, you're up. So we have from Ippy Bloke on Twitter, uh, nobody seems to want to touch fiscal repair. Uh, there's so much ideologically motivated waste, for example, submarines, car parks, offshore detention. Is this discussion really off limits? Uh, you know, obviously, uh, uh, you know, very pertinent uh, because of events of the week. Uh, and from Ben Smith, uh, what impact do you see the internal divisions on net zero and the sneaky labour carbon tax claims within the coalition having on their voting base? Are you seeing any light bulb moments in the community now that the lies behind this positioning are finally being exposed? What an optimist Ben Smith is. Bring him <laughs> into the show more often. Yes, Daniel. So fiscal repair, uh, last election Labor tried to put out a bunch of policies. It got weaponised against them. There were lots of campaigns, you know, focused on that, things that they were proposing to do and things that they weren't proposing to do. So I guess Labor got burnt in the 2019 election and this time round um, is, is, is proposing a much more modest much more modest agenda when it comes to fiscal issues. I mean, the generals sort of talk about looking to cut 
consultancies and the sorts of things that incoming governments always say they would do, run a ruler over things. There are some, you know, obviously there was a multinational tax announcement today, but the government itself used to be you know, just having all this whiplash thinking about 2014 and 2013 budget <laughs> emergencies <laughs> oh, and de God. deficit thing. The debate has whole. Yeah. The debate has entirely moved on, um, uh, and obviously during the pandemic, the coalition as well suspended their own, you know, previously stated fiscal rules and stimulated the economy. Um, Josh Frydenberg has said we've moved into the second phase. They've moved off that sort of emergency level pandemic assistance, um, but the government is largely relying on economic growth to sort of stabilise debt and, and, the, and the budget situation over time. So, you know, they're talking, the coalition itself is talking about, you know, making sure that, you know, growth in expenditure is, is, is kept in check, but there's nothing substantial from them either. We can't talk about fiscal repair, though, without talking about, like, what you're repairing in the first place. Stage three tax cuts, mainly targeting higher income earners, uh, back, you know, obviously proposed by the government. Uh, Labor has backed that, and that's a huge chunk in the fiscal picture. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost laughable to talk about fiscal repair when we've got that. The only other thing I was going to mention, you know, there was talk of offshore processing. It's incredibly, incredibly uh, expensive, uh, but, you know, some of the uh, outlets and politicians who routinely talk about waste never seem to mention that. Mm -hmm. And on submarines, um, the you know, up to $5.5 billion is what's been discussed as the upper limit of the cost of cancelling the contract and yeah. an amount it's spent to date, but that can't be recovered. Like, that's not something that an incoming government could cut. It's yeah, already it, happened. Yeah, but it's kind of amazing, isn't it? Like when you think about $5.5 as a break fee in the submarine contract and, you know, the Labor's multinational tax initiative raises uh, two over the forwards, you know, it's pretty pretty, pretty amazing. Anyway, uh, and so, um, uh, and the second question, Daniel, our optimist, Ben Smith, Mm. Oh yes, and uh, divisions and in the in the coalition, uh, do you, do we think the community's onto them? Uh, well, we'll see. I mean, <laughs> it should be onto them. I think that I think that our August publication might have been one of the one of the um, uh, few in the in the, in in this sort of environment last year who were pointing out the huge gaps in the coalition's supposed net zero, um, you know, peace in our times deal. Morrison squibbed the idea of increasing the 2030 target, which is really where all the international action is focused at the moment. Yep. We've reported before about the, the boil over from the Nats when it came to the 2030 target. So, and, and of course, that was just based on existing policy. So I hope there's a bit of a wake up call with the community about what the coalition actually has promised. And on, they didn't on, legislate on what yep. they did promise. Didn't, didn't legislate it. And now they're sort of sending different messages. Over, so, yes, I yes. mean, it is, it's, they're basically still divided. There wasn't a proper deal last year, really, uh, but the Nats have run around with the infrastructure, you know, billions that were promised in return for it. So, look, mm -hmm. all I can say is, you know, hopefully people are, are, are paying attention and seeing that the deal was more, you know, rhetorical than, than you know, tangible. Mm. In spirit. In spirit. Yeah, I, I don't know. Paul, have you, are, you, uh, are you gesturing because you have an insight? I, I just wanted to go back to debt and deficit briefly. Yeah, sure. To say that it's very, very strange that, uh, you know, the pandemic has got us used to so much uh, spending and, and stimulus and, you know, the coalition lost all the, you know, didn't have much fiscal discipline to begin with and lost what little they had when we needed, you know, a $90 billion yeah. wage subsidy program. Yeah, which but the country then, needed, by the way. Which the country needed. Yeah. But, like, 
But then the conversation is changing again now with runaway inflation, and it's it's wild that we're not. I mean, I I think that deficits usually don't matter, but like, but but in a situation where inflation is is this high and we're about to have a rate hike, uh, you know, sh- should we should should the budget be? Um, you know, counter cyclical by starting to take some of that stimulus that stimulus out. Yeah. Um, would interest rates be lower if they actually if some if someone yes. somewhere was if actually the economy promising wasn't less spending? So hot. Yeah, exactly, exactly. No, and, no. and yet we're all getting a tax cut. The stage three tax cut yeah. is bipartisan. Yeah, so. I know, I know. Well, and that's the point. That was the only other writer I was going to say. Just on the end of that fiscal discipline conversation, we should be very clear. Uh, both side, neither side, neither neither the government nor Labor at this point are proposing the restoration of the normal fiscal rules, which is that every new piece of expenditure has to be offset by savings. Neither of the parties are actually suggesting that that is a discipline they intend to apply to themselves anytime soon. Both parties have been hiding behind this whole rationale that as long as uh, economic growth outstrips uh, your interest bill, we're all sweet in terms of debt. You know, cheap debt is everywhere. It's all great. But as Paul correctly says, inflation is back, baby. And also interest rates are increasing. And uh, that and those, you know, uh, there's there's a there's a ton of difficulties ahead for whichever side of politics wins the election. And I was just going to add to that wages have not grown wages, at the same pace. Of so the, the yeah. one of the major problems with inflation increasing is that over the last decade we have not seen wages in real terms increase to 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 match what was already happening before we saw the 5.1% figure and that's why it's hurting so much but what i just think is kind of insane in in this campaign is the coalition's message which is essentially like oh we we couldn't fix what was happening before and we had no control over that but you can only trust us mm. to control it moving on mm. well they've had almost a decade. Yeah. These problems haven't come in a vacuum. You know, like it's not new that this was happening. So suddenly to just go, well, you can only trust us to fix the gaps in the policy that we have left. That we haven't fixed. That we haven't fixed mm. over mm. the last nine years, I think is kind of insanity. And I don't know what's going on in those focus groups where they think that that's an, a good message because it's so easy to poke holes in. It's true. But, you know, anyway. We'll we'll see how the story ends. And speaking of the story ending, we are all out of time this week. Thank you again for such superb questions. As you can see, they're really great. Please keep them coming. Uh, We're all on social media. We're very easy to track down. Keep them coming in. Thank you to Miles Martignoni, who's the EP of this show. Thank you to my fantastic, absolutely wonderful team uh, for fronting up and answering the questions too. We will be back next Saturday. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Before Shopify, were you wondering where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. 
Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen.